Papas Pilar is a spirit that embodies adventure. Named after the late great Ernest Hemingway in his boat, the Pilar, the name says it all. This ultra-premium blended rum is hand-selected from around the Caribbean and blended by master blender Ron Call. After a long day on the water, when the sun is descending the sky, end on a good note with Pilar by your side. Go support them at papaspilar.com or a liquor store near you. Starting from a 90-year-old family recipe, Wickles are wickedly delicious pickles packed with garlic and peppers, a staple in our skiff and all shoreline lunches. Originating from Sim's grandmother's kitchen to a pantry near yours, from pickles, okra, relishes, and spreads, check them out to elevate all of your meals to the next level. For decades, we've all heard about this guy who catches a pile of permit in his kayak. He was kind of a ghost who would be seen off Marathon one day, then near Boca Grande Pass the next, and then the Marquesas a week later. We thought we'd have to get this guy's story, and through one of our good friends, we did find him. Jay Grant is his name, and having caught 260 permit by himself, has to be one of the most interesting people you'll ever meet, and he is. We hope you enjoy his story. We broke everything. We broke lines. We broke hooks. We broke rods. We broke our minds. We broke marriages. We broke the whole thing. We uh, came up with the idea of going out that night and chasing girls, and whoever had the biggest pair of panties won the pot. I knocked another arrow, and he turned around the other way, and I shot him going through the other way. So I double lunged him both ways. But it was nothing for us to paddle an air mattress out into government cut. I got him on. All right, now we're going to teach him a lesson. I'm just an old guy that likes to fish. I'm not quitting yet. And he said, well, who the hell do you think you are, Sue App? And I said, that's exactly who I am. Life's journey to the grave should not be one arriving with a pretty, well-preserved body, but rather skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly torn out, thoroughly used up, proclaiming wildly, wow, what a ride. <laughs> There's something fishy going on here. Jay Grant, it is, uh, it's a real honor to have you on the Millhouse podcast today, and I'm, I'm so glad that you decided to to you know, jump in on all this and give us your life story because I'm going to start this off by saying we know all the great permit fishermen in the world by Del Brown, Charlie Causey. A lot of people might not know him. Nathaniel Linville. If I'm not mistaken, you've caught, I think, 250 permit. Higher. 60. 260 permit. I haven't fished in going on 10 years. Out of your kayak, waiting. All but six. Six were off boat. All the rest were wading in kayak. Do you think you're the best permit fisherman that's ever lived? No, not hardly. Who's the best? I don't, you know, don't know and don't care. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, here's what's interesting. You know, these guys, these other guys, all had guides. Steve Huff, Dustin Huff, you know. Great guides. Yeah. Um, Del Perez. Yeah. How uh, how did you gravitate to the kayak and fishing, wade fishing? I had no money back then at all. I wasn't working. Uh, I was fishing out of a piece of junk truck that I was sleeping in up and down the Keys. And Were you homeless? Basically. Sleeping out of your truck fishing? Well, I started when I had a shop where the ferry terminal is in Customs Building in Key West now, right in the corner of the bike. City was getting ready to come in and take it over. That used to be Singleton property. I was in one of their net storage sheds. I was doing woodwork, making jewelry boxes, uh, doing stuff on some boats, making furniture. And, uh, you know, I knew the rent was going to go up, so I just left them a bunch of trash wood, you know, and put everything in storage. And somebody had given me, uh, somebody up in Satellite Beach, where I'm originally from, Cocoa Beach area, uh, gave me a... Uh, 
Well, he got me started. He didn't give me a rod and reel. Dan Gerber uh, gave me, a good friend of Tom McGuane's, gave me a, a, an 11-weight two-piece Sage RPLX and one of those old number three Fenors, the one that said 19, from 1933. And uh, I, I had that reel, rod and reel two days and I caught a 21-pound permit out of Boca Chica, point pedophile or whatever you want to call it. I couldn't even uh, cast, you know. I just flipped a little number four, Joe Branham Merkin with blue legs, just flipped it out there twice. The fish grabbed it and took off and... Uh, you were, uh, you were hooked from that point forward on oh, permit fishing. I kept that fish, I killed it. Nobody would ever believe that I didn't have a camera or anything. I ate it. Uh -huh. uh, they're edible. You sure, know, but I'm, I'm not crazy about killing them. Right. The only ones that I've ever killed since I didn't kill them, they got sharked. Right, right. And right. I've only had a couple get sharked. You know. Right. Well, let's go because I want to talk a lot about you know your permit uh, expertise and your relationship with permit fishing out of your kayak and wade fishing. But let's go back in time. Tell me a little bit about your life story. Where do you come from? What did your parents do? How were you raised? Where were you raised? How did you get to Key West? Well, my mom and dad were separated. Uh, up in Virginia, my dad was stationed at Andrews Air Force Base. I think at the time he was a captain. He got transferred to McGuire in New Jersey. He worked for the Air Force and the CIA at the same time. I think he was a military courier or something like that. And... Uh, my mom, he told my mom, don't sell that house because they were getting ready to build that huge airport up there, Chantilly or wherever, and the property would go way up. She sold it anyway and moved to, to uh, South Patrick there, just south of Cocoa Beach. And uh, I fished a lot in the canals right out behind my house, you know, throwing plugs in the morning, whatnot. There was a canal there. So you've always been a fisherman? I've always been involved in it since I was probably six mm -hmm. or five. Here and there, you know, when I would, my dad, we lived in Tennessee, we lived in North Carolina, we lived in Nebraska Air Force, you know, and uh, Jersey, way away from the ocean. So it was, you know, whatever I could think of to do as far as fishing goes, I did it. And uh, it, I don't know. But they also said, uh, I talked to Nathaniel Linville, a good friend of both of ours. Uh, he said that you're just an exceptional woodworker. Was that your trade? No, I got interested in that when I was locked up. Uh, I got in a wood shop there and read everything I could get my hands on. When I got out, I started buying tools and uh, sharing shop space in one of Singleton's old net sheds there uh -huh. on the, in the corner of the bite by the power plant where the power plant was. And... Uh, I started building stuff and I got interested. And then I got interested in Japanese woodwork, you know, and started buying planes, chisels, uh, saws that work on the pull stroke and everything. I've got a good collection of tools and most of them that I bought uh, were at auction from two sellers in Hokkaido, the northernmost islands in Japan. and. Uh, I use my bitter, which is a sniper app, to get those things tricking people. You know, they wouldn't see a showing bid, and it would go in the last three seconds of the thing. You know, and I'd either beat them, I'd either beat them out, or you know, outright the bid goes in the last three seconds. If you're if your listed bid in the sniper app is uh, higher than the bid they leave, you hide your bid so that they can't go above you knowingly you know very interesting and yeah. would you be making were you a carpenter would you be making cabinetry or what, what yeah i made cabinets i made a lot of jewelry boxes i made a whole bunch of coin boxes for mel fisher's treasures i was making you know those with a router cutting finger joints uh all day long sometimes with a little table mounted elu plunge router it was adjustable under the bottom you know for the thing and um I rigged up jigs and stuff to enable me to do that, you know, and they were just fast, simple, very noisy though, you know, you have to wear a dust mask, you have to wear a set of these, you know. Right. Uh, right. I've got tinnitus really bad probably from that, yeah. from router. 
Did we, you get down to Key West because your your father came down here from the able? No, no, he never, came, he never came mm-hmm. here. He, my mother and father got divorced after he went to McGuire. She didn't want to move, so she said, to "Hell with it." She came down here to, you know, South Patrick, which is just south of Cocoa Beach. Well, I want to ask you how a you couple got blocks to, from the beach we lived. You know, I want to ask you how you got to Key West, but before you. I want to go there. You mentioned that when you got locked up, that's how you learned how to do all your woodworking stuff. I'm going to be truthful with you. I came down here because I had warrants up there. <laughs> so you're hiding. Well, basically, yeah. I tell people, like a lot of people in Key West back I, in the day. I tell people today that when I came to Key West, I had seventy dollars in my pocket. I hitchhiked, and when I break even, I'm leaving. You know, because Key West to me anymore ain't Key West. You know, it's right. nothing like it was back then. So you came down to hide. Not really, you know, but I just didn't want to be up there. I was getting in trouble all the time, you know. Mm-hmm. Would well, you get in I had trouble? had a serious for- drug trouble, problem, you know. I had a heroin addiction, uh, was doing a lot of alcohol, you know, drinking. If I didn't have the money for drugs, I was drinking, uh, beg, borrow, steal, you know. And, and that's how you ended up getting locked up, going to prison? Yeah, the last time. That was in 87. I haven't touched anything since then. Right. Good for you. Uh, who taught you how to do the woodworking while you were in prison? Nobody. Taught myself. Through books and stuff like that? The only thing I, we made when I was in there was two by four frames for target silhouettes for the gun range there for, <laughs> for the, uh, you know, the correctional officers. Right. That's the only thing we did in there. But, uh, yeah, I just got interested. And I lived I lived under Stephen Palomini, uh wanted me to do some work on his house and I stayed under his house and uh, Ramrod next key up and I stayed there for like four years and I got back into it mm-hmm. you know so that's when I started buying tools again I'd gotten rid of everything how, in how order did, to fly fish for years how did you get clean in prison was there a program there to help you get off the heroin and the drugs well you know you don't have any money there and the, the drugs were there, you know. The correctional officers were bringing drugs in. Visitors were bringing them in. The uh, I just didn't want to do it anymore. I mean, this that was the last time. There had been times before that, you know. I was sick and tired of so so as they say, being sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know, right. the party was over. I knew exactly. Uh, I went to AA meetings. Uh, you know, set up chairs, passed out literature. Uh, How old are you at this time? I was 40, I think. Mm-hmm. So let me just ask you a question. So if you're an addict in prison and the guards were bringing in drugs, how would you purchase those drugs? Was it all bargaining? Through inmates. I mean, that stuff that, you, you know, they, they have trusted. There, there's guards there that know people who are incarcerated that they grew up with. You know, that's Miami. You know, this was Florida City where I was, Dade Correctional. And uh, there were, you know, a lot of guards, uh, black, black, white, Hispanic. You know, some of them were probably grew up in uh, Liberty City or Opelika or someplace, you know, which is heavy crime mm-hmm. places. And they became prison guards, you know, because they were tired of it, you know, and they wanted an income and, uh, you know. So you went to prison actually a couple of times you are mentioning. Yeah. First time was in... Uh, 68. And what was that from? What did you do to get? 68 in- was possession of pot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got three years and I went to uh, Bell Glade. And the second correction. And the second time? Second time was a uh, violated parole. Right. Okay. Um, Third time was uh, violated parole. Again, the last time was. Uh, Stole a gold chain out of a jewelry store in Key West. Right. Do you remember the time, wherever it was, and when was it, that you thought, I am done. I'm done with this lifestyle. I'm going to be clean. I want to change my life. Last time I got arrested. You know. My my best thinking put me in that position, you know. Mm-hmm. And I just... I'd been to treatment in Miami, in a concept house for, well, I don't know how long I was there, six months, nine months, got in the second phase and I could work down the street. The Miami Jewish home was uh, framing, framing drywall and uh, making money to 
pay client fees and whatnot. And, uh, I would, then I went to a three-quarter way house after that, bought a new uh, 900 Honda Supersport from working. I was having to take a bus back and forth to work way out in Sweetwater, right. the other side of the airport. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just toughed it out, you know? Right. Can you imagine going to prison for three years for possession of marijuana? Oh, uh, if I told you what, how much, it was five-eighths of an ounce of crappy Mexican sugar weed. And now it's legal. That's yeah. It took me seven years. Mexican. It took me seven years to get rid of that three, to get, her, get off of paper, you know, off of parole and everything. Uh, Mexican sugar weed. And I still didn't learn. Still didn't learn. Yeah. Uh, addiction is a powerful thing, you know. It, e either the, alcohol, alcohol, or drugs. You mm -hmm. know. If 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 somebody's listening that might have that issue with their children or themselves, what would you best say to them to help them change their lives? Just do what you got to do one day at a time, not to pick up anything. That's it. You know. It's a minute to minute. And day all to day. these people will say, well, I can't handle those meetings and this and that. I don't go to meetings anymore, but I went religiously for four years. Mm -hmm. uh, how, how hard is it now to stay clean? Is it always a conscious thought in the back of your mind? No. It's not. You're done now. I've had mm -hmm. the closest I've come to anything is how we went fishing down in Cosgrove one time, uh, uh, you know, with chum and, and herring, you know, for yellowtail and whatnot. I caught a blackfin tuna on a chunk of herring. That was the only real fish that we caught down there, and I gave it to those guys uh, that I was with. It was a friend from up in Bonita Springs and stuff. These guys were cabinet makers up there, and uh, they wanted something to eat that night, you know, so I gave them that tuna, and hell, it was his boat. It didn't cost me anything to go, but somebody had set a beer down, and I had a soda down there, and I just grabbed a can, and I immediately tasted beer, you know, and spit it out, and that's the closest I've come. Wow, good for you. Other than dreams. In dreams, I've done this, you know. Mm -hmm. with, in dreams? In dreams. Very scary. And when you wake up, what do you think? Might be time to go to meetings again because I'm lacking spiritually or whatever. I don't have the spiritual power to uh, shield me. Anymore, sure. You know. Wow. Don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, Well, congratulations on uh, making your life better from from that, that abyss that you were in. How did you get to Key West? He just told you. Well, I mean, but, and right, you hitchhiked down with 40, $70 in your pocket. First time I didn't have any 70, I might have had 70 cents. Right. I went back up one time. Uh, I think I bought a, uh, I think I bought a six pack at Jack's or something, went back across the street and drank them with my thumb out and some people picked me up. They they, they dropped me off in uh, uh, Boynton uh -huh. on 95 in Boynton and I could hear these, I could hear these Haitian guys yelling and screaming on the other side of the fence on 95, you know. It was like one or two in the morning there was a broke down truck on a uh, semi on the uh, on-ramp. It was off the side of the road. I crawled up in it and went to sleep for a couple hours, got back up and uh, somebody gave me a ride up to Sebastian but uh, just, I got just all kinds of crazy stories, you know, about that kind of stuff. And it's, right. You know. Well, I think our, our story today is, is uh, you know, the evolution of your life, you know, from where you came from. And obviously your kayak fishing and how great of a permit fisherman you became. Um, but you did mention here a little bit ago, you were living in your truck. You were semi-homeless. Trucks. trucks. I was the last owner of any truck that I was ever because <laughs> no one wanted to buy one after wet, you. Wet kayaks on top, dripping salt all over them. The rain drains would go. I had a van, a Toyota van, the older kind, the forerunner to the uh, uh, Previa or whatever van. And it, I could actually lay in the back of it on a mattress to see the moon up through the roof of it. You know, it was just, but, you know. So during the height of your fishing days, would you fish every day? Every day. Every day. Weather permitting, you know, sometimes it got so bad. Here's what I started doing. I went and bought a bow saw. I went back in, you know, where the, uh, there's a Wind dixie up on Key Largo. And there's some property across the street. Now, I, I think Dink Bruce that lived in Key West 
might have owned that property. Yeah, Gink is the uh, guy that Tom McGuane and those guys were talking about. You know, he passed away. Gink did. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, I didn't know his story that well, um, but actually, uh, Carl Hyacin wrote a book, and I think it was, uh, wasn't it Gink that he spoke about in one of his books? But Gink was was a big guy that hung out with McGuane and Harrison and those guys, if I'm not mistaken. Probably. Dink was a little guy, though. I mean, he was he was a little guy. He owned a killer piece of property on the corner of uh, Southern and uh, Simonton Street. Two, two houses there. They're both just huge conch houses, old. His dad was Hemingway's... Uh, Dink had met Hemingway. And uh, the Dink's dad had to drive Hemingway to Idaho because Hemingway... They wouldn't put him on a plane because he was so drunk, you know. So Dink's dad, uh, Toby Bruce, would drive him to Idaho, you know, so that he could uh, get sober. And I guess the last time he didn't bother getting sober, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he Dink passed away a couple of years ago. Right. So how many years did you live out of your out of the, your your trucks? You say with a kayak on top, fishing for permit. Well, let me think from. I caught my first permit in 2004. I mean, in 94, excuse me. 94, then the following year, I realized I can't wade these channels, you know, so I'm gonna have to get a kayak. So I got a kayak and uh, I sold off tools that I had in storage for that, you know, in order to buy a kayak. And then I could range out with a kayak. I paddled all the way from Valois uh, Street up in, Key Largo, you know, up Card Sound Road, paddled all the way from there up to Ocean, not to Ocean Reef, but to uh, that place that uh, Hyacin got closed off up there, Carries Fort Yacht Club. I paddled all the way up there and back, back in the day. You know, I haven't fished there in years. So your your paddleboard was all with with kayak, no paddle. Or, or, I mean kayak, but there was no foot things that help generate speed. Sure. All the, with your arms. Yeah, a lot of those things come with that. I throw them away. And my whole thing with the kayak is simple, easy, no clutter. I don't sit down in the butt well. I sit back up behind it. And if you want to get a little bit of extra height so that you can see out better, just a few inches, you put a floating cushion up there and then you lash that off with a bungee across the hatches. I cross my legs in the butt well. There's a compass holder or a cup holder molded into the fiberglass between the the leg slots. And I put a washcloth or just an old t-shirt or something on that. And I set my reel down in that handle down so it can't move around. And then I use a plastic coated anchor chain on the front hatch coiled up and I strip the, all the line out, you know, in front of that cup holder and uh, strip all my line out that I'm going to need for a cast. I'll test it to see if I've got it right. And uh, then I lay the rod between those plastic coated links right. on the chain. Uh -huh. So it's ready to go. You know, I can just stop the kayak, lay the paddle down across my legs or put it in the water on a bungee and get a foot over. I fish just shallow water you wouldn't believe it so I mean, you weren't fishing just key west you were fishing everywhere. from key largo to key west best bone fishing i've ever done was uh shell key had good bonefish big big yeah for slobs sure. uh the the bottom side of lignovite key across the channel over there on the other side of the swash right the swash is a motor zone you're allowed to run your engine there uh that place is notorious you know i've seen videos of sandy moret and uh, pallet on a boat there before and like I think line class records have been caught there but the basin on the other side of that is no motor and there's a bunch of PVC pipes sticking up uh, they put T's on top of them so that the cormorants can get on there they've sprigged all that bottom right. where the boats have tore it up and they want the cormorants you know to defecate in the water it fertilizes that turtle grass right so the mm. grass grows back. Well, I've seen them out there. They're using a pontoon boat, you know, a deck boat. Uh, they have barrels full of uh, the turtle grass chunks in there, you know, that they picked from someplace. And they got girls and everything out there, you know. They make a, I, I don't know 
who these people are. These are Habitat restoration. There you go. So the cormorant poop. Yeah. Really? Fertilizes the, the well, prop scars. Well, you'll see them when you see So the, if you see prop scars, you'll see a lot of the tea stakes well, where all these birds can land. How and, have and, I never known that? Uh, another, we don't, we don't uh, fish there that much, but it's, they're crazy. there. Yeah, and, you know, at first I started wondering, why are these tea stakes on there, you know, until I started seeing the birds on them. And I watched them, I watched them take a dump on there, you know, plenty of times. I, I used to put my kayak in uh, on Indian Key Phil and paddle over there to the bottom side. That's no motor, the bottom, the south side of uh, Lignavite. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've had days out there where I didn't catch any fish under nine pounds. You I know. know. I mean, and this is like up until like 2010, with the when the freeze got and killed all the big ones. Well, I don't know about that. Uh, I think it stopped before that. I think it stopped uh, Rita, another hurricane, and then uh, Wilma came through, and it churned that bay up so bad that it killed all the sponges. Uh, it clogged them up, and then this blue algae took over. And what happened with the sponges is that algae. Uh, uh, that blue algae outcompeted the algae that the sponge uses. Duck Camp makes outdoor goods so you can outdoor good. From the shallow water flats to the mallard filled marshes, Duck Camp is there to make you feel comfortable and enhance the quality of your time in the elements. Not only do they make some of the best outdoor apparel on the market, but they support many of the organizations near and dear fighting for a resource in the natural world. Check them out at duckcamp.com and tell them we sent you. Whether on the boat, on the river, or in the woods, Yeti products are by our side. There are many innovative first-class companies in the outdoor market today, but none more so than Yeti. In 2006, they took the industry by storm when they produced their first roto-molded cooler that was reliable and built for the wild. 17 years later, with a multitude of new products, they continue to raise the bar and be the gold standard for all outdoor brands. We couldn't be more proud to have them as a Millhouse sponsor and a family member. You know, for food, they, right. they're filter feeders. And uh, this was explained to me by a guy, Dr. Metz, he's a PhD in microbiology he's over in thailand now i fished with him for some years he uh he said the guy told him that the blue algae was so small that it would go right through the sponges they couldn't feed on it you know and that stuff uh that stuff ate everything out of the water that the, that the good algae was supposed to be eating, you know right and it stayed like that for a long time i don't know how long but even even then, you know, a year later or two years later, I was still catching fish over there adjacent to the swash, you know, just big schools. There's a, I call it the middle ground. Uh, it's a no motor and that's the bottom end of the Peterson bank, you know, which right. goes, it goes all the way up to uh, Barnes Key, actually. It goes right. all the way up to, there's a place called there you know that's where i was telling you nikki where we were talking about the tarpon yeah. fishing there and, and that's where a lot of tarpon hang out on the back on, on the, the west exactly right i'm trying to think what is that bank called that's a buchanan bank right yeah did you take your kayak back that far i didn't go to the buchanan i don't fish yeah. tarpon out of fishing tarpon out of a kayak i'm going to tell you people, you get towed around people do it. well it ain't towed around i mean you get them you if you want your fly back and you don't want to just break the fish off and let him wear the fly one of those things that they, they can get you. I mean, uh, it's not that easy getting back on a kayak, especially if your rod's on the bottom and whatnot. And yeah, they'll tow you into deeper water. I've had permit tow me into channels where I've had to drag my legs into water. You can't paddle, you know. You got both hands, you're, you're palming the reel or pinching the edge of the spool, you know, for drag. And he's, he's taking you out with the current and uh, you can't... Uh, you can't let them continue to do that, you know. They, they, you won't be able they'll to get be out home. in the golf. Yeah, you won't be able so to get you home. You drag your legs and it slows them down, and that way you can get up to them. What happens basically when when you're reeling one in, you think you're reeling him in, but you're not. You're just reeling yourself to him. Right. You know, and then you get up on him and he bolts again, you know, and they're getting their breath in between. You know? Could you drop your anchor at any point? I didn't use an anchor. I had that short painter 
with uh, I fish shallow. You know, I would hook these things shallow, but they'd run off in the channel. And if if I want them, I'm gonna have to go with them. You know, what's the, the biggest fish you ever caught out of your kayak? Can't say for sure, but I couldn't get it in the kayak, and it was there was this much room between the tips of, on the tail, and uh, that was it. And uh, I saw that fish coming in. And you're talking about a permit. Yeah. yeah, that fish coming in, it was a big one. And I saw it lift its dorsal like this. And I'm going, the tip of its tail was back here. And I'm going, holy shit. Huh. I tossed a, uh, back then I was tying my flies different. I didn't use any uh, splayed hackle on my crabs. I didn't use any uh, legs. I just used, uh, you know, Aunt Lydia's sparkle yarn. And they were heavier flies and they were bigger. They were the size of a quarter. And uh, I flipped one of those out in front of him and uh, just immediately saw him do this and it grabbed it. And uh, I, I strip struck this fish, you know, just felt him moving with it, strip struck him. And then I swept, I sweep struck him, you right, know, with the rod sure. to try and get that thing into the here, you know. I don't like hooking him in the tongue. God, that just makes me cringe. You, know, you get one in, you see, it, you got that. You know, he's got a uh, number two hook in his tongue or whatever. But uh, this fish took off. I was out of the kayak when I hooked him. I got in the kayak because there was a whole bunch of uh, ghost traps on the bottom out there, uh, crawfish and stone crab. And I didn't want him getting my fly, dragging my fly line through there because I didn't have an extra rod with me. Right. With me. So he towed me and just kept towing me and towing me. I put my feet in and I'm going... I don't know if this, that place is real sharky, you know, bull sharks, uh, they have their pups there, you know, uh, there's hammerheads there after the tarpon and the permit. And, uh, he told me and told me, and he got to, to the first, uh, batch of patch reef offshore there, which is an easy quarter mile between a quarter and a half, maybe. And these things get shallow enough where you can see waves breaking on them and probably hit them, you know, with a, big outboard you know on a real low these super negative ties we had ties last week that were six inches below mean low that's shallow you know right but he got me out there and uh i'm going i got to do something with this fish i can't just let it continue and i was pulling myself up to it and it would take off again and it was actually being real casual you know uh and i got it up there and then finally you know i'm trying to crank on it and i can't do anything with it and i said that thing has gotten around something so i kept reeling myself up i look on the bottom the fish is laying on its side like this and there's like a five or six foot uh like a sea fan there mm. i didn't know which way it had gone around that but i know it wasn't moving you know and i wasn't able to lift the fish so i just guessed i went over i just went over on the one side you know with a rod tip put it out and lifted and i saw the head come up and then the fish started back out again and i was probably another eight minutes with it or something like that all total i was over a half an hour with that fish and uh because you know i just wasn't really doing anything to it because it was having its way with me you know sure. towing the kayak but i got it in and uh i tried to tail it it took off again uh and uh, got it in. I grabbed the tail and I tried to get it up. And I'm not going to flip my t kayak out there, especially after that, you know, because right. that attracts things, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, dragging your legs is not probably not the greatest idea either, <laughs> you know. But uh, that fish, I would guess, Nathaniel's asked me how big it was, and uh, you know, if I had to, if I had to guess, I'd say it was a good 35 pounds. Wow. You know, and. Could have been more than that. What's your biggest bonefish you caught over there by Shell Key and the Island Marauder area? I, I don't know. I never weighed any. I didn't right. even have a camera back then. I st I got a camera and I got some good pictures. After that, those right. little paper throwaway film cameras. Mm -hmm. That's what I started using. And then Stevie and his wife at the time, Melissa, bought me a Nikon point and shoot. And uh, I ended up drowning that. <laughs> and... Uh, the biggest bonefish was big. Yeah. I mean, the kayak. 13, would... 12, 13, right. 14 pounds. I got one down here that was that big. And that was in the. Uh,
keys back up in the chain lakes. Sure. One morning. What is it about the permit that you love so much? I don't know. They, they just, uh, they're, they're fun to watch when they're feeding and stuff. They're real fun to watch. They don't really belong in water that shallow, you know, and they're just amazing uh, creatures, you know. They're more like wild sheep or something, hogs, you know. Uh, they're in there, they're rooting and stuff. Somebody tried to tell me that permit don't mud. I watched them do it. I've also watched them swim with sharks along with jacks. And uh, they, uh, they're they a challenge for sure. And so after a day of permit fishing, you say you caught two. Would you go back and log those numbers? How, where did the 260 come from? Is that in your head? or No, I should have brought that book with me. I've got a, a composition book that has all that stuff. My, my girlfriend, uh, before she passed away, she did... Uh, she died of pancreatic cancer in 2017. She kept the last, I don't know how many that I caught, 10 or 12. I quit fishing basically in 2014. Why? Well, because I was on the phone with her. She was up in New York and I was trying to get her to come down. She wanted to come down, but she was married. And her husband was a POS. Uh, she ended up coming and... Uh, for a year there, I just talked to her on the phone mostly. I went to the Marquesas one time for a week and a half with my sailboat in a kayak, and I caught fish down there. When I got back in phone range, I would say maybe Ballast Key or, uh, you know, Joe Ingram or whatever. Uh, I talked to her on the phone, and she was crying. You know, she said that she had, she was wanting to call the Coast Guard. She told her she was living with her husband up in Long Island. And uh, she asked him, she said, I want to call the Coast Guard. And he says, nah, Jay's a big boy. Don't worry about it, you know. How and long were you gone for in the Marquesas? Week and a half. I've stayed as long as two weeks. I couldn't do it when she came. That's one of the reasons that I had to quit, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, you drink twice as much water. She used water to cook with. Uh, you know, she cooked a lot. You know, that's where I really started gaining weight. When I first met Nathaniel... And I think it was 2008, something like that. It was the same year or the year after he opened the store, the Anglin Company. Uh, you could barely pinch me. I had hardly any body fat. Did guiding ever come into the question or you always opposed that? I did that off a friend's super skiff for a couple of years and just hit piecemeal here and there. Uh, no license, you know, no insurance. What was it like being in a, an actual boat? Here's, a, here's the thing with you. guys. <laughs> That's a good I mean, question. You went from a kayak so to a boat. You're here's supposed the thing. To, oh, my God. This, thing is, this is awesome. It's a here's yacht. Thing. I look at it this way. Here's the thing with guides. I've got a whole lot more experience than probably 90%. I know I've caught way more fish than most of them. There's some good ones. Don't get me wrong. Right. Uh, uh, you're a guide when you say you're a guide. Right. You, you haven't know, earned. I was guiding people out of kayaks up in Isla Mirada. That's one of the that's one of the ways I lived, you know. If I wasn't fishing, I was taking people fishing. And that's how you make your money to stay to yeah, stay alive. I was sure it's just stupid uh, money. You know, seventy dollars for a day, they'd have to rent their own kayak right there at uh, mm -hmm. Lignovite Channel, you know, Robbie's or whatever. And then uh I don't know. I just didn't like fishing with any of those people. There was a couple of people, nice people that I fished with. That, uh, I have a feeling you don't like to be around people. Well, I've got some super great friends that are really good to me. Nathaniel and right. Catter. But you've... A few other than Jeannie, Jeannie and Trevor Gregg. Holy mackerel, man. Those people, yeah. uh, they treat me like a son, you know, and I'm older than both of them. Right. Because I, I, I personally, I find... That when you're on the water and around fishing, you you the re, very few people relate to how you think and how you live in the Keys, and a lot of times for me, I just go into my mind just gets like focused on doing the things I want to do, and I could see you that a lot of people would might not even understand you and how you live out of you know, out of your truck and in a kayak, et cetera. And you cherish your friends, but you don't have a whole lot of them. Yeah. Let me get back to how I was living. And I, I, I mentioned the uh, Winn-Dixie up there. As you get 
as you get up towards, I think you can even see car sound cutoff as you're going north on one. Across there, there's a hardwood hammock across the street. I went back in there one time just to look around because I'm a woodworker, you know, yeah. and I've milled lumber with a wood miser band mill before, mahogany and a uh, woman's tongue and uh, blue mayo, you know, bunch of stuff, you know. And uh, I went back in there to look for these old deadfall Jamaica dogwood logs. They'd been down for a century at least and uh, had lichen growing on them and everything. And I'm going, how to get these things out of here? They're super heavy, just really dense, beautiful wood inside. So I went to the hardware store back to the south uh, by Waldorf, uh, what they call Waldorf Plaza down there, you know, and uh, right, right in the heart of Key Largo. There's a hardware store down that way. I got a bow saw and an extra blade and I went back. And while nobody was looking, I creeped across the street and went back in there and I found these logs. You know, there were quite a few of them. And I knew the length on my pickup bed. I had an old Mazda there uh, for a couple of years and I would cut those things where they would fit in the bed. And I'd cut them and then when I get done with one, I roll it out by the road. And there were, I didn't have a GPS. I needed a handheld to do it, but I didn't. You can't even hear where the traffic's coming from back in there because it's so dense that uh, it baffles the sound of the highway, you know. And uh, I'd roll those things out by the bike path there, uh, northbound lane, and I'd put something in a tree, you know, like a, somebody's piece of trash to mark it. And then I'd go get some more, you know, and I'd roll them end over end. These things weighed over 200 pounds a piece, you know, end over end, you know, pick up one end. Sure. I'd go out and I'd, I'd, I kept my truck parked over at Winn-Dixie parking lot, you know. When I'd get done, I'd go over there and still be light out. I'd go over there, get something to eat, sit in a truck, listen to a baseball game or listen to Marlins or whatnot. Then when it get dark, I'd go back over there and I'd drive across the bike path and my lights would shine on. I remember one time I had a uh, uh, paper plate stuck up on a branch, you know, and that's where those were. And I would put them in there. I'd bring them all the way back to Key West, put them in my storage unit on Stock Island, and I would sell those things off to other woodworkers, you know, and that would pay for the storage unit, you know, sure. give, give me gas money. And it, uh, if I did that enough, it'd give me money for a new rod and reel and whatnot. I wasn't on any guide programs in there or anything, you know. So uh, I finagled my way into a Van Stahl guide program and uh, uh, Scott, Scott gave me a, an 11 weight two piece. I've got one of your reels on there, that big number three Fortuna. Mm -hmm. I've got it on there. I'm going to, should be using it right now because that's what it was for, you know. For right. Big tarpon, but you need a boat to do that. I'm not going to do it out of kayak. Just refuse to do it. Right. Let's get back to the part, uh, the permit fishing for a second. Was were they pretty obvious to to you when they get in a mode where they're catchable versus when they're in a certain state where they're uncatchable? When you see bunches of them, especially the smaller ones in water this deep and you see them doing cartwheels with their tail, what they've done is they've grabbed something, possibly uh, spider crabs or maybe a clam or something like that, you know, and they're, they're going at the same momentum as the other fish. They'll grab a hold of something and that momentum carries their tail up and all the way over. They're doing cartwheels. I've watched them do that many times right there at ballast. And, uh, I haven't seen it. A full a, cartwheel all the way over, a full 360 the, degrees. No, 180. So they just go they're, down they're and right back up. They're going this way. They're going this way, and then right. they they grab something, and they come over like this. They, you know how their eyes are. They flip all the way over. Any permit that you look at, his eyes are always pointing towards the, the end of his nose. Right. I mean, is it, their eyes don't look off to the side. They're always looking this so, way. So if they, I don't know if, if that's because they're in a certain mode. Or if that's just how they are, I'm tended to believe that that's just how they are, you know. So they 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 nose down, feed, and the head would go all the way, be you know, the tail would the come tail. all the way over. And and then at that point, what would happen? 
How would they get realigned to keep going forward? Evidently, he'd grab what he had. And sometimes you'll see him slap. You know, sometimes you'll see him just slap the water. And what that does is that gives him purchase to pull something loose. You know, that tail. The tail the pushes bottom. a bunch of water. Yeah, they can't back up. Right. You know, they don't swim back. I imagine they could back up a little bit with their pectorals or whatever. But with that tail, what that tail does is that gives them the, the you know, enough oomph to give them purchase against whatever it is they're trying to get loose. Hmm. What was your best day of, of permit fishing? If you have one. I think the best I've ever done was probably three or four. I got, I got, I can't remember. East content. They were all small. Then I got one in, in farther by key. If you know where that is, that's off the Harbor channel that runs down between how key and, uh, the water keys, big torch. It goes down and it dead ends. That's a deep, place that's like a, a major interstate or whatever you know for all kinds of things there's cobia in there you know there's did you ever get in trouble with your kayak with weather and current or tides or other guides I, well yeah oh, <laughs> here we go yeah, yeah i want to hear this one i i parked on the very upper end of big torch one afternoon and there were some people that lived in that house then. That's, that road comes around and it goes down and it just dead ends. Now you can launch a kayak there, but there's a big house on the water there. And uh, they had horses there. Uh, those horses ended up dying of encephalitis. Uh, anyway, I parked there and I paddled out and I just kept paddling. I had water down inside the kayak. I had some food. I had a jungle hammock. No, I didn't have my jungle, jungle hammock at the time. Uh, there's a there's a key off of uh, West Contents back in towards uh, the key that had the monkeys on it, Raccoon Key. There's a strip bank that runs from this little mangrove island. That's denuded now. It used to be just lush. And one of the hurricanes or a tornado got it and just stripped all the leaves and branches. But uh, that's called Key. And that strip bank runs all the way over to the uh, western end of, of uh, West Content. Right. And uh, you know where that is. Right. I, we're I gonna paddled. we're gonna we're gonna bleep some stuff out just so people. We don't. It's okay. It's stuff. okay. I paddled around. Yeah. If you if you know these spots and you don't want anybody yeah. knowing for sure, bleep yeah. it, man. I don't. No, but this is very well, interesting. I'm trying, I, I got to tell you. No, this you is know, good. I, this is good. Yeah. I don't want you think, thinking I'm making this shit up. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> anyhow, uh, I paddled around, paddled around the worst mosquitoes you can imagine. The water keys. And the contents aren't much better, but the water keys above Big Torch, that's the worst. Other than Key Largo, Key Largo is incredibly bad mosquitoes. Uh, I paddled until I couldn't paddle anymore. And I got up near Little Crane Key and I could hear all these cormorants. That was a rookery. I could hear them all up there, you know, two o'clock in the morning. I said, fuck it. I'm, I went out on the strip bank and the tide had fell. I shoved my kayak down th through the mud, you know, it's a kind of crushed shell aggregate, you know, limestone mud, crushed shell clay with some grass on it. I poked it down in and I threw the, wrapped the chain around it. A storm came. And I mean, that was probably the most frightened I've ever been in my adult life. Uh, there was lightning bouncing off the water and I didn't know if I was gonna, uh, I can't remember if I prayed or not, but it was uh, real hairy. And it's, this went on for 15 minutes uh, maybe longer and uh, wind picked up the wind was uh, I had this old Navy thing uh, like a poncho over me and that was probably a second world war poncho or something like that and it just got shredded and uh, next morning I woke up it was already light out I had that thing over me what was left of it and I'm laying in the bottom of the kayak that's how I was sleeping this was a ocean kayak scupper pro and uh turned around backwards with my feet back towards the seat 
and the thing in between the feet goes up on an angle like this, and that was enough support for my back. I took the floating cushion and put it behind my head, and it was actually, I could sleep. It was comfortable, you know? And uh, I guess that, you know, once that thing got over with, I was able to go to sleep. The next morning, I had that thing over my head, and I heard this splish, sploosh, sploosh. I took that thing off my head, and I looked over. There were bonefish tailing next to See that chair is right there. They were all up and down this, that bank, just tailing their ass off. And uh, I had a box full of merkins that I tied and uh, some bonefish patterns, you know, like Borsky craft shrimp or whatever. And uh, that box had fell out of my shirt pocket in the water one time and I didn't rinse it good enough. And the ribbing causes, I don't use, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't have money for gamakatsu or good hooks yeah good yeah. hooks i i like the other hooks better i mean if you lose one if you break a fish off you know it'll rot out pretty quick sure those things rotted out in the thing the hooks were breaking off uh but you know i don't even know if i caught one of those fish and i should have caught 10. that my best day bone fishing was in that spot over there adjacent to the uh, swash and i probably got 14 fish one morning one right after another there was a guy on the other side, on the west side of that thing. There's a bank over there, and I forget what they call it. I think they call it Metacombie Basin or something over there on lower Metacombie. He was in a boat, like a Hughes or something. I had a guy on the front of it, and I was getting these bonefish. They were coming around in a circle. I was hooking them one right after another, and I had the same problem. My hooks were breaking, and... Uh, they, uh, I had a couple good flies and I used them as long as I could, you know, before I lost them. And I wasn't, you know, checking, I wasn't checking knots or anything, you know. I heard the guy tell the guy on the front of his boat, they weren't doing anything. He was just staked there waiting for fish to come down to Peterson, you know, to the south. And uh, he was telling the guy, the guy kept turning around and looking at me. He, these bonefish were big. You know how they get up on top and they lunge? And it looks like a series of hand grenades going off. Blowing mud up as they run off the flat. Well, they were in some deeper water. They were mm -hmm. in the basin, and I was up on the edge of it, you know. And uh, this guy's telling the guy, watch in front of you, watch in front of you. Those are barracuda. He was telling <laughs> the guy on the front of the thing that they're barracuda. Finally, after about the fifth or sixth one that I got, that guy cranked, and he went way up, you know, by the wheel ditches that cut through the Peterson there, you know. And it was it was funny. Any confrontations I remember on that like it was yesterday. Any confrontations on the water with other guides? Here we go. Oh yeah. I've told people about their <laughs> wives, everything. What would typically happen? What? We need to have a confrontation with a guide. Well, anymore, I think if you mess with somebody my age, you're going to jail. So I can, you know, pretty much get away with murder, not that I want to. But I, I pretty much, uh, if, you know, I've had people cut me off in boats because I'm in a kayak and they know right. I can't get up there and do anything about it. Right. You know? But you, I can definitely outrun them with a kayak if they're pulling, you know. Would you be polite at first or would you go straight into the I'd go straight at them, just depending, just depending on how bad a transgression it was, you know. Uh I mean, I don't own anything out there, but they sure as hell don't either, you know. Right. And most of them, I'm from here. Most of them aren't, you know. And I don't care how long they've been here, you know. They say that they're, you know, well, I'm living Key West. I've told, I've told them, motherfucker, get off my island, you know, <laughs> stuff like that, you know. <laughs> uh, you know show some respect. Right. I think that's the most important thing because they know what they're doing. It's not that they're idiots, you know, and you're on a flat. Jay, you off. another question I have for you is, would you ever go out in the middle of the night on a full moon and uh, target permit and, and, and bonefish? Can you see pretty well on a no, full moon you know at night? Did, you know who did that, though? I was reading, and I think the Florida Sportsman some years ago, Bill Curtis in Miami started doing that, taking people on night trips off of Biscayne. He'd get big old patches of sand bottom and he would chum out there on the bottom and he said you can see these black shapes come off the grass you know onto these things and he said that 
he'd be staked, you know, or yeah. anchored or whatever. But you and never throw shrimp at him. No. Right. Well, I've never done it. I know they feed at night because in the mornings wading, I used to take my kayak, but I'd get out of it and wade uh, at some places on the south side where those those places had good fish, larger permit, you know, to 25 pounds, 20, 25 pounds. Uh, small ones were 14 and lots of them. And they were the readiest eaters. You wouldn't believe anything. I was using those stupid uh, fake merkins, you know, with no splay, no legs, uh, just basic brown. I like, you know, in low light, I like a darker one. In higher light, I like a lighter one, tan. Uh, or I would variegate them, you know, I would put a brown and a white, brown and white, brown and tan, whatever for during the day, mm -hmm. you know, depending on whether there's grass or whatever, you know, situational stuff. And were you going back and, and tying flies in various uh, colors and sizes and did, were you, could you not sleep about permit or were you just I like... Hate, I hate tying flies. <laughs> I tied my truck up there on uh, Craig Key by the Channel 2 bridge. I would stay there on one side or the other, you know. I would stay there and I would tie flies. I had an old herder, solid cast iron vice. I had that thing on my steering wheel on a, you know, whatever truck I was in it, whatever piece of junk I was in at the time. I had a tackle box next to me uh, with a bunch of eyes, you know, bobbing threads and material down the bottom of it just smashed down and I have to go down in there for the crystal flash, you know, and for the, uh, you know, the hackle and whatnot. And I was tying these little merkins like the ones that I told you about. No legs, no hackle, uh, just just Aunt Lydia's. And I would what I'd do is I would paint those with clear wet and wild fingernail uh, overlay. And once they once they stiffened up, I would barber them into the shape I wanted them. Small eyes, and I was doing those on number six hook. And I had another fly called, I called it the Psycho Bunny. And that was a zonker strip with a real small bead chain eyes on number six hooks. Those are deadly bonefish patterns for these bonefish. Right. You know, uh, they didn't make any noise hitting in the water. You could drop it on their nose when their eyes were this, this far below the grass. Like out at Barnes at night, there's just some monster fish out there. And just huge rooters. And... Uh, Twin Keys Bank used to be like that. Right. So you would focus a lot of your fishing during the low light hours, early, early morning or later evening. I think those are the best. Aren't yeah, you? yeah, for sure. Uh, but permit, the thing with permit though is they'll school and eat in the daytime, but it just seems like they don't. They're, I don't know if it's because they see better. Harder, harder to catch for sure. Yeah, yeah. And because they can hear, they they can hear boat traffic from here to Big Pine. You know, mm -hmm. they can hear a boat that far away. You know. Right. You've they had, know they know to be the place is beat now, Andy. It's beat. There's just too many I call them parachute guides. You know, they're from God knows where. They just fall out of a plane on the place or whatever because it's money. Right. Well, I think there's been a lot of uh interesting research that's been founded uh, by scientists for BTT and that's why they closed the Western Dry Rocks because a lot of the light tackle guys were targeting permit out there and losing 50% of their catches to sharks. That's been closed forever, huh? No, they just closed it uh, a year ago. Uh, what, Western? Western Dry Rocks. They closed it. Oh, for, I'm talking for, about Sambos. Yeah, Western yeah, Dry sorry. Rocks. So now, they're, you know, I've been hearing about this year, 2023, that the permit fishing is really lacking the numbers, uh, the biomass, and they're waiting to see what kind of numbers come back from the spawn off the Western Dry Rocks area. Who was it that was taking these fish? A lot of the light tackle guys are out there catching them when they're out there spawning, yeah. and they're losing fifty percent of the permit to sharks. I think it's predation, Jay. I don't it's predation, it's, predation to sharks. Yeah, it's yeah. not they're they're not killing them. Well, they're, there were people in Marathon that were harvesting permit for uh, commercially. You know, I saw them doing yeah. that. I saw them doing that way, way up off a of seven mile bridge at East Bahia Honda Key. Mm -hmm. There's a strip bank below there, and I saw them, you know, fishing crabs there, two yeah. at a time. Yeah. Um, well, you've got a fascinating story for sure. Um, living out of a truck with kayaks, trucks, trucks, <laughs> trucks, and then a van, just all yeah. junk. What's your life like now? You don't fish for permit much anymore, right? I don't fish for them at all. Yeah. Unless somebody offers to take me, you know, I'm not, uh, I got the houseboat now. That's a two edged sword. 
It's a lot more comfortable than living in that little 26 McGregor sailboat. What I need to do is I need to start getting stuff out of the houseboat. I emptied the uh, McGregor. I emptied everything out of that to clean it up uh, when I was in storage. I moved back in it. Uh, I had to boat up on the hill and did the bottom paint and everything. Took everything out, took a bunch of stuff up to Big Pine to storage. Can't afford a storage unit in Key West. Right. I can rent houses up the road for what they want for a storage unit in Key West or rent a trailer or something, whatever. Just uh, all I care about it really is a roof over my head. And I don't give a damn where it is. Yeah. And, and before we got started on the podcast, you mentioned theft was very prevalent. Out, the, out on the water. They're stealing gas out of people's dinghies. Uh, they're stealing basically anything that's not nailed down. They're taking boat engines. And who are uh, these people? Bad people. But other people that live on the sailboats? A lot of the smaller engines, to, to be truthful with you, I think that a lot of the smaller engines that 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 people don't take care of their stuff down there they won't tilt an engine up you know uh crud grows in the intake on it they burn those engines up you know because there's stuff that's growing they keep them at the dinghy dock the ones that are on the mooring field they keep them at the dinghy dock uh the intakes get clogged you know they quit pissing the people let them go i just put a uh i just put an impeller in my 40 because it had given up yeah but uh yeah, those people, I understand that there are like meth labs out there. I mean, I don't know. You might not want to include that. Well, but it there is. there people making methamphetamine out there. Yeah, on the water. Yeah, and there's a bunch of people that are on it. You can look at them and tell, talk to them and tell. You know, they're just real, they're tweakers. Mm-hmm. Right. What are you most proud of? I don't know. I mean, you've had a really significant life in fishing. Um, and I think your story with catching 260 permit out of a kayak and waiting is phenomenal. As much as I did it, though, I mean, it's nothing. I should have five, 600, 700. You know, if I would have kept one, if Renee wouldn't have come into the picture, I'm glad she did because, you know, I just loved her to pieces, you know. Uh, the If I would have kept at it the way I was, the last two years that I fished, I got 30 and 33 per year you know and that's coming back here and sitting around for a while waiting out the weather you know uh re-upping all my stores you know my water and my food and everything like that to go again getting all the fuel together now i've got the sailboat i've got the houseboat i've got the whaler and i've got the kayak and in a trailer for the whaler now all this stuff takes uh registration fees and whatnot and it's just there's always something going on with one or the other or two at a time, you know, and it, I can't. It's consuming. Yeah, it's consuming. Yeah. Uh, How long do you have this place for? Oh, we just rent this for the month. I know, but. Uh, we rent it uh, every year for the whole month of May. Yeah. Uh, last question. Did you ever speak with Del Brown about. A little bit. About his permit. Um, chasing days and yours as well and what he kind didn't of conversation talk much about that all he ever told me is luck and i'm agreeing with him you know it's just you fish enough and you're out there and that's what you're what you're doing you know specifically and you're not getting sidetracked steve huff told me that he fired dell because dell wouldn't fish anything but permit he told me that dell would be sitting on a cooler steve didn't have one of the casting towers up there you know he said Dell would sit on that thing he'd have to poke him with a push pole to wake him up you know when he got older yeah when he got yeah my age or older I don't know how old Dell was but I got a picture of him I took a picture when he got his uh 500th permit I took a picture of him he was with uh he was with Dustin right and uh uh that picture uh, I gave that picture to Dustin after I got him developed and everything and uh, told him, could you have Dell sign this for me? And he did. He put it to Jay, you know, uh, just luck. Very and cool. The date of the thing, you know, the 500th fish. That's pretty cool. What, any advice to future permit fishermen out there? Uh, 
try the kayak. <laughs> There's a lot no. to be said for that. Nathaniel catches a lot of fish waiting because of the lack of pressure with the, with well, the I boat. Wonder where he, I wonder pressure. where he got that. Yeah. Were <laughs> you? Did you mentor uh, Nathaniel a little bit? No, I didn't. But Nathaniel has talked to people that watch me fishing. People, people used to pull up outside, you know, by that patch reef off of Geiger and Boca Chica. And they'd just sit there, you know. And they, watch you fish. Yeah. They wanted to see bent rod or, you know, see splashes or something. I don't know. Well, Jay, you got a fascinating story. Thanks so much for coming yes. on. My pleasure. It's great to meet yeah, you. Yeah, very much so. You demand. <laughs> well, there you go. Jay Grant, one of the most interesting people you'll ever know. In prison, he became an incredible woodworker. Then once out, he became one of the most determined and most successful permit fishermen to ever chase them. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to see more content or behind the scenes, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We'll see you again soon. Just a ride, just a ride.